Hello and welcome to the Humanizing Growth podcast series, brought to you by the Institute for Real Growth. Each week, IIB founders Frank von den Driest and Mark de Swan-Arons will be talking to global leaders and practitioners to discuss what it takes to drive human-centric growth. For more information, visit www.instituteforrealgrowth.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. My name is Mark de Swan-Arons. I'm one of the founders of the Institute for Real Growth. We'll be talking about a whole broad range of topics about multi-stakeholder growth, humanized growth, and basically what it's like to take a marketing organization and take the broader organization to growth beyond the bottom line. This morning, I'd like to say a special welcome to Diego Scotti. Diego, good morning. Where are you and how are you? Good morning, Mark. It's really a big pleasure to be here. For the ones that uh, maybe don't know, you were one of the first people that I spoke to when I when I joined, joined Verizon now almost six years ago. I know that probably you don't want me to talk about this, but one of the first things that uh, Mark did for me at that moment was to suggest that I created what he called a challenger board, a group of uh, other CMOs that their only job was to basically criticize and critique everything that I had I wanted to do at Verizon and help me become the best CMO that I could be for the for this company. And I tell you, I, I am convinced that that was one of the things that really set me up for success coming into the company. So if, you, if you're thinking uh, you're coming into a new job, having your own challenger board in any way, shape or form, I think it's uh, from the get-go, it's a, it's a great, great learning and experience. So they, they, there you go. I am in uh, Long Island, so I'm, I'm close to the to New York City, but uh, we've been here with my family since the beginning of the, beginning of the pandemic traveling a little bit, but not too, too much. And how am I? Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about being here today. Uh, it's been a, a really exciting year so far for all of us here at Verizon. And, uh, and I tell you, one of the, 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 the most amazing things of the silver linings of this period has been really being with my family so much time. You know, uh, I see my kids, uh, my wife every day, you know, we, 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 our relationship has transformed in the last year to something that I, you know, it was difficult to imagine that that could happen, but uh, it's been really amazing. And I, and I tell you, although it gets hard sometimes to be like nine hours, you know, 10 hours in, in front of this, this screen, uh, I'm sleeping better than ever. I'm exercising mm-hmm. uh, more consistently than ever. So in a way, you know, although I miss being with my team and, and being in the office, the quality of life has also gone up. So it's kind of like the, the, the yeah. probably the, the answer of balance that we need to achieve after this is, is kind of like the biggest learning for me, you know? Well, that's fantastic to hear. Thank you for saying that about the Challenger Board. It's very apropos because we literally hit send on a newsletter yesterday that as the Institute for Real Growth, after two years, we felt we were being successful. The evaluations tell us so, but we also felt we needed to reinvent and actually think about the next generation of leaders. So we literally announced yesterday the Institute for Real Growth Challenger Board, and they are leaders with 10 years marketing experience from every continent in the world. We had a first meeting last week to just get to know each other, to give them license to really kick the tires and tell us what we're doing wrong and tell us where to go next. And so indeed, it is a mechanism that I highly respect and uh, intend to learn from. I want to just tell the viewers and readers about Diego. Diego joined Amex in 1999 in Miami and and really worked his way up the East Coast (laughs) at at a stint at uh, Condé Nast. 
and J. Crew, and then in 2014 was appointed as the first cross-business CMO for Verizon. Now, I said 2014, which already proves that he is over almost triple the average tenure of a chief marketing officer. Greg Welsh would tell us that. But we're going to talk about that journey and we're going to talk and learn from you. As you sort of touched upon uh, some COVID learning, uh, before we get into your journey at Verizon, I wanted to just ask you to step back and look at the marketing organization at the Verizon organization. What has changed over the last year and a half? I would say this happened at a very interesting time in my in my mind because we we had a new CEO that just came to the helm of the company two years ago and 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 changed. So this kind of like happened right at uh, right at the beginning, right at a, at a moment in which we are we were already making the transformation into uh, the the new era of five G. So it kind of like got in a in a moment in which. A lot of things, thank God, were already underway in terms of the way we wanted to run the company under the new CEO. And I would say that everything that we were already doing just got accelerated, number one. And I'm talking about focus on the, the employees as a, one of the key four stakeholders that we really needed to, to transform, in not only what we were doing for customers and for shareholders, but then adding society that was a stakeholder that when the new CEO came, came in, Believe it or not, it became a much more important, uh, you know, area for for Verizon as officially name it as one of the that were four stakeholders. So, so everything started to uh, to accelerate it, and I think culturally we were already doing a lot of work around the the transformation of the culture of the company to become a lot more agile, a lot more innovative, a lot more transparent, a, a lot more about collaboration, a lot more like bottoms up. What, what what this generated is was the opportunity to accelerate all of that, and, and I, I tell you, for me, the biggest the biggest learning of all of this, and I know that I'm gonna I'm gonna sound a little bit, uh, I think, uh, esoteric about this, but but it's been really the the, the, the notion of uh, what what human beings are capable of when you're faced with the need to adapt, to transform, uh, to do things differently, and and to innovate is it, is remarkable. If you would have told me. Uh, oh, the marketing team was and uh, creative teams would be collaborating and doing amazing work uh, without being on the same office. I would have said that that I would I wouldn't believe that that would that would be possible. In fact, I always remember. I mean, before the pandemic, we were for God's sake we were doing meetings uh, with with people on the phone, you know, and like like conference calls because that was kind of like the way the way we did it, you know. So so being able to know like what we're capable. Uh, and then being to, able to understand how do you take all those learnings and then you evolve. I mean, that that to me is a tremendous privilege uh, to be in management, in a leadership position, taking all of these inputs and figure out how do you drive the path forward. Uh, I don't know, for me, it's, it's, the, it's the, fun, the funnest part of my job, you know, even when you don't have all the answers. You talked about the ability of people to change under, under crisis circumstances, really. I wonder, we discuss in our program, and you know most of our listeners are leaders themselves in marketing and other growth functions. We often talk about the role of purpose as a guiding light in such transitions. Let me ask you first about you personally. Are you clear on your purpose? Do you mind sharing it? Absolutely. I want to share it. And I tell you, for me, my personal purpose has been a process. And, and, and one of the things that I always say to people is like, listen, if you're not so clear about what your purpose is, don't stress, you know, because it's, it's almost like a process that you need to go through to understand better uh, yourself, understand better your strengths. Where, and some people, listen, some people are so clear about their purpose from day yeah. one that, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's amazing. Some people are not. I, I wasn't totally clear 
about my purpose from the beginning. It took me some time to really understand what was important to me, but also connected to the value that I can bring to the world. And my, pur- my purpose is really v- very simple in, in a way, uh, but it's, it's, it's related to, to connection. And mm-hmm. connection has nothing to do with Verizon. But my point is connecting people to opportunity. And mm-hmm. that always have been something that when I look back, even uh, from very, very young age and being a community organizer, you know, in my, uh, in my public school uh, down in Argentina, trying to fix things that didn't, didn't work. My, my emphasis is always, how do I bring people together to do mm. things that need to be done? It could be groups in the company, organizations. Tomorrow we're doing this big, special Vax Live to drive, you know, awareness on, on vaccination and, and vaccine equity with the global citizen. And I said, but, but the, the Ad Council that I'm very involved with and global citizens need to be working together. So we put them both together. The idea, you know me, in terms of the, the collaboration, bringing people together to collaborate, to drive impact is what gives, gives me so much joy because I, 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 I'm good at it. You know, I'm kind of like, that's my emphasis. I could see the value that adds, which in a way is really what I, I think it, it retrofits, mm-hmm. if you would. It creates a virtuous cycle in terms of making your your purpose even more meaningful to you when you can see the impact that it creates, you know. So COVID hits. You're head of marketing in a business with distinct businesses. What are the big changes that actually needed to happen? And how did you connect? Verizon is a company that one of the things that uh, we are most proud, and I'm very proud of of Verizon as as an organization, is that we, we, we have this thing that says, you know, we always run to a crisis. And it's just really <laughs> remarkable that yeah. no matter the crisis that happens anywhere in which we do business, it's almost like the, the different groups in the company, all of the differences that you might have, and everything disappears. And the focus becomes on how do we address that crisis? How do we help the, the four stakeholders? So the galvanizing power of the company in terms of crisis is, is, is already something very innate for the, for the company. But listen, even with that, this was the crisis that, None of us had a book that we can go to and say, okay, how do we deal with this? So a lot was about instinct, but I tell you, I never imagined that having a purpose that for us is creating the networks that move the world forward, creating the networks that move the world forward. That's the purpose of the company. I never thought that having that purpose would have been so helpful, creating focus with COVID hit. Because it really gave us a, a tremendous sense of, of clarity around, like, if we, if we are the ones that create the networks that move the world forward, that means that we need to, first of all, figure it out, how do we support our four stakeholders? Then it became very clear that it wasn't only about just talking at the beginning. Remember, everybody was there, we're there for you, we're going to support you. For us, it was very, very important that this wasn't about words, this was, this was about action. And that was a critical point because we moved really, really fast. We were the first company in, in the country to have a TV commercial saying what we were doing for our customers, for our employees, and also for some of the groups in society that needed support immediately. We went and we said, okay, what, what are those groups? I tell you, that there were some of the, the purpose, the principle about action, no words, and then creating these collaborations to make things happen internally and externally. All of a sudden, they became like really, really important galvanizing uh, principles for acting. And what I always say that I think is something that we shouldn't take for granted 
is the, the importance of, of leadership during these times. Uh, we instituted two things as a management team that were, I think, in my opinion, really critical for success. Number one, we have an eight o'clock meeting every day, including weekends, in which our CEO and his eight direct reports, we will get together and go through the same agenda every single day. What we're doing for employees, what we're doing for customers, what we're doing for shareholders, what we're doing for society. And everybody will come, everybody will, the, the level of connection that that created was, was very critical. And then the other thing is that was at eight o'clock and then at noon, we had what we call a up to speed, which is our, I would call it like our internal news program. That is a webcast that runs every day and we're still doing it at 12 o'clock to talk to our employees directly. For the first two or three months, our CEO was there every day, talking to the employees, saying, uh, discussing what we were uh, what we were doing, taking questions. Remember at the beginning, there was a lot of uncertainty. People wanted to hear from, from leaders. And now looking back, we kind of like forget about how, how important that was, but it, that's one of my examples of how it accelerated a lot of the things that we were doing already. And the connection with our employees significantly increased from that, from that perspective. And to the point that I think one of the great things that I think the team did, which I, I thought it was a great idea, up to speed not only became something that we broadcasted internally, but up to speed runs also in, in Twitter, in Facebook, in, 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 in social media platforms. So then everybody else outside of the company could see what Verizon was doing inside the company. Mm -hmm. So in a way, when you think about mm -hmm. modern marketing, that is something that I know that for some companies that might look like, oh my God, that, that's kind of like, I don't even know how my, my management would even begin to understand or be happy or comfortable mm -hmm. with that notion. But in this day and age, that became, and especially during this time, that became one of the key pillars of our marketing, that people could see how Verizon was behaving internally and with all of the stakeholders. Um, so it, it was really, really, really uh, uh, helpful and galvanizing force, you know. And I'm trying to unpack that a little because there's so many leaders listening that undoubtedly want to learn from this, Diego. And I want to connect some things that you said, beginning with the connecting role itself. Now you're talking about these multiple stakeholders. You, you said the CEO, the new CEO, bought a, an emphasized focus on the other stakeholders. Can you talk a little bit about indeed how the company distinguishes between those stakeholders and how that additional focus on additional stakeholders how that's changed the discussions internally? Yeah, and, and this is to Hans Vesberg is our CEO, and, and, and to his credit, he was very, very clear since the beginning that all four stakeholders are equally important. So we created some, something that helped us enormously in that process, which was what, uh, what we call the balanced scorecard. And the balanced scorecard has the four stakeholder groups, and we agreed on a set, on a set of metrics uh, for the four stakeholders. And that became the way we measure not only success, but also we hold ourselves accountable and the way we also uh, manage compensation for the leadership of the, of the company. And, you know, like in any corporation, I'm a, I'm a, in any organization, if you can measure it, you can drive change. So you need to just make sure that you get to the right measurements and incentives, and you, then you drive the change, you know. That was extremely helpful in terms of balancing the four stakeholders. Can you give an example of where, by just adding new stakeholders to your perspective actually it led to different conversations and different decisions a great example is and in the context of covid is the, the issue of the digital divide and for example yeah. that for us is yeah. very very important very yes. relevant for these days very important and relevant uh, for the work that we do in the company 
but but for us was yes important but something that uh, a few years ago it was more something that the people on public policy will talk a lot about that related to relationships with uh, the administration of the time or the moment and then the work that we might, we might do in uh, philanthropy but if you say no 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 this is one of the the issues that are important for our balanced scorecard for the company then what that means is that especially when you talk about you know societal issues th- this is not about philanthropy or public policy it's about the strategy of the company so yeah. i'm using that as an example because what this generated is the opportunity for us to talk about the digital divide not only in the context of what we do for philanthropy but in the context we design our network strategy to support or invest in rural communities in a lot yeah. of cases might be through philanthropy but in a lot of cases might be through unlocking business opportunities with the right business models to serve those communities partnerships that we would do on the business side uh, to provide the right level of uh, connectivity uh, with the right business models for school districts for example it changed the conversation and and what i think is going back to your point about connection what it does is in my mind what it did for us is to start making sure that the conversations happen in a holistic way that is not like my my csr team running on one direction doing something the the enterprise or business group creating isolated you know deals and public policy doing something else it, it forces the the conversation to to be galvanized and when we talk about society i i'm a, i'm a strong believer on this society as a stakeholder is not what you do in your spare time or with philanthropy it has to be part of your your strategy when you make society part of a strategy the right conversations happen because you start thinking about sustainability if it's about uh, social justice issues you start thinking about uh, you know in our case digital digital divide uh, which are critical to the way we succeed or not as a as a company and that is a fundamental mindset change in the way companies need to think about their role in the world uh, the relationship to their that with their purpose and then how they connect strategy with purpose i mean you remember uh, when we started with this this and you started even before me on the on talking about purpose and and not, not because not because you're older actually i think you're younger than me but <laughs> because you started because you started earlier to your credit talking about purpose and all that it was still a little bit of like you know purpose was this thing about oh yeah it's kind of like uh, i get it it's nice but let me let me continue with the business side and then i'll come back to it and now uh we live in a world in which the reason why purpose is important is because especially for big companies that they are in the eye of the storm of all of this transformation that is happening happening in society um and you are demanded by society to uh participate uh stand up for the things that you believe uh to drive your strategic moves with society in mind so so that's why to me it's so interesting to see that now it's not a it's not a choice anymore like no. you can get away uh not to not to have a purpose it's 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 absolutely indispensable mm-hmm. you know well diego what what's so impressive about that is that i think uh i know verizon a little bit as a company you mentioned the machine that it is it runs to a crisis and it sounds like with your balanced scorecard for all stakeholders at the top this is now truly ingrained I want to go back 6 years because I know your journey a little bit and I know that it will be so teaching and you stepped into an organization that had marketing at the divisional level but not at the corporate level even before you started I remember 
you shared that uh, I don't know if it was the job application process or just the getting ready to start. You were driving a roadmap for change with the CEO, a roadmap to create marketing for the first time at corporate level. And so I want to start there. You've now tried that for six years. I mean, obviously, you have a much longer marketing career. But how did that go? How did you negotiate and educate the leadership of the company on the role of marketing? I tell you, it's interesting that you started with the, with the question because I sometimes forget and, and I think sometimes we forget how even before you get offered a role or you start a role, how important it is to have a, a very strong and clear point of view in terms of how would you run that function or how would you how would you do your job? What's your vision for the job? I tell you, it's, it's even to this day when I'm hiring for very senior roles, when I ask like, what is the vision for the role? And people answer a version of, well, listen, it's difficult because I don't know the company very well or I don't really know the organization very well, which to me is always the, 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 the kind of like not a good sign, you know, because it's kind of like, well, maybe you need to do a little bit more homework and also you need to have a little bit more of imagination. But listen, you're not going to hit it 100%, but to me, it's always the 80-20. And that's how we started with this. I said to the CEO, listen, I want to put together what it would be my plan uh, to get this function, the brand, my vision for the sector and our place in it, and how would I do the job? I want to put it in a piece of paper and I want to come and talk to you about it. And I said, I'm not going to hit it everything because obviously you don't know everything, but if I hit it 70, 80%, listen, that would be a perfect thing for you because part of, part of my, my when, when, when he called me and this was the previous CEO, I was like, listen, I'm this kind of marketer, this kind of person, I would do this thing. So I wanted him to understand what he was buying as yeah. well with getting me because mm-hmm. uh, I said like, you know, just want to make sure that we are alive. <laughs> you know? It's like, mm-hmm. uh, are you sure you want me as the CMO? So, so it was really helpful to align on that. And then I think what he created with uh, the CEO, but I think this applies to any person that you that is your boss or your, or your leader, it, which is the clarity of the expectations and what do you need uh, from, from them? And I tell you, as, as a leader, sometimes I'm not clear about what my people need from me to help them be successful. But when somebody tells me, here's what I need, it becomes a really a liberating thing for me because, you know, as a problem solver, sometimes leaders will like, where are you going to put your energy? Oh, I know now. Now, going to this, back to the specific point about the CMO, if, and I've been very fortunate in, in my career and I've been very fortunate at, at Verizon in terms of having leaders. I don't, I don't think anybody can do anything on their own. And I've been very fortunate of having, uh, since I've been here, two CEOs that I would have not been able to do what I did without uh, their support. I think that's period. Let me, let me say for good that, uh, that we are and the great team that we have, without their support, we wouldn't be able to do it. But support doesn't mean protection or cuddling or I don't mean that kind of support. I mean that they were engaged with the vision, that they were in agreement with the vision, that they help us drive uh, that vision, and that we were also accountable to the success of their strategy or their vision to, to be a CEO of the, of the company. I, could, I couldn't emphasize that more in the sense of like, if between the CEO and the CMO, there's no, and I'm not even talking about personality or, or chemistry, which obviously it helps a lot, but if there's no alignment in terms of what's important, what's the focus, how do we measure success, what, what success look like, and then being relentless about maintaining that, uh, that relationship, it's very hard. 
is very mm. hard. And that's why I think mm. the tenures of CMOs are also Love. so 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 short. So for us in marketing, we created a very clear plan of what we wanted to do. And our plan was my plan was a five-year, a five-year plan. Now we'll get into the end of that uh, that uh, that first that first plan. And listen, for, for me is I think CMO sometimes we're we're so afraid of committing to something because the conditions changed that we end up getting trapped. When you have no plan, you don't know how to adapt where the conditions changed. So you end up just become, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of constant reaction and adaptation to whatever is the thing of the moment. If you don't know where you're going, then you don't know where you need to, where you need to change. So I always say to the team, get your plan. Listen, as long as if we go like this, it doesn't matter. As long as we know that we're going in a semi-straight line and that we know uh, where, where we're going, where we're going. And then the accountability is critical. Just you know, I'm going to share this this with you because I think it's is is relevant. I meet mm. I meet with Hans every two weeks, and my uh, meeting with Hans starts with two pages, which is one is my scorecard, and the second one is my critical focus areas. And for that discussion on the critical focus areas, we have this little game going on, which is how many of my critical focus areas hit his list. All the critical <laughs> focus areas, and every meeting at the end of the meeting, we uh, we joke about if how, how you know if I hit it or not, you know how far I, I, I am, and I tell you, more times than not, our list is ninety five percent aligned. And I'm saying that not to brag. I'm saying like yeah. it, it, our process has gotten uh, in the time that we've been working together. That process has helped us get to a point that I, I, I'm not guessing. I, I don't I don't guess what is important to him. And he's not guessing that I'm like, what, what is Diego doing? This What, what the hell is he doing? What is you know, so so my, my point is eliminating the guessing, yeah. both in terms of the outcomes that we create in marketing, but then the alignment with the business is so, so important. And then mm-hmm. indulge me with this because I want to complete the thought. Okay, you're a great CMO. You know what you're doing. You have your plan. You have your priorities. You have the support and alignment with the CEO. We're not done. And let me tell you what I mean. We're not done for that. The rest of the business leaders, either the other functional areas or the uh, business unit presidents, in our case, but every company is kind of like similar on that, are critical for our success. So I always say the same thing. I have, I have a few bosses at Verizon. And I mean that, you know, I don't I report to the CEO, but I am accountable to not only the business unit's presidents, or CEOs of the, our business groups, I'm accountable to the other business, the other, the other functional areas, being our head of HR when I talk about employee communications and the, our employer brand, uh, the CFO. I mean, we are accountable to each other. I know that it's a lot when you start piling up all of these areas that you need to cover, but without that, without that, you, you won't make it. You won't make it. You know, so I, I hear so many CMOs that talk about like, well, listen, I, I, I report to the CEO, so I listen to what he tells me. The rest is not my problem. Mm. You know, it's not going to be good, good, good outcome. And, and it doesn't create the right culture. You know, I, I use this thing that says, and I use it a lot because it, it is so important to me, which is I am because we are. And that means that mm. what makes me successful, what mm. creates value to, to, to me and who I am and my team is the responsibility that we have to each other 
uh, as part of the marketing team, but also with the rest of the teams in the company. And that means uh, we're accountable to each other. We carry each other when things don't go well, when it's needed, and that we're all in this together. It's so interesting to hear you talk about that. Two things come to mind, and it's actually one of them is in our program, Diego, and you're mentioned. McKinsey brought out a report, they, not everything they say about marketing, I agree with, but they brought out a great report at the beginning of last year, which showed that there was a direct correlation between the number of effective relationships that the CMO has with the heads of other disciplines and their tenure. And I couple that, and in the program I mentioned this, that an observer of you after a year and a half at Verizon said, Diego has extremely good table-side manners, bedside manners. He is so able to sit with leaders of other disciplines and work with them. The way you just described it is, of course, the epitome of that. But you come in, and I really would like to operationalize this because so many CMOs come into new organizations, and you did the extreme. There wasn't a marketing organization except in the divisions. How have you built that relationship with the other functions? And how also have you talked about the role of marketing versus the, you talked about the, all your stakeholders, but there are people that lead disciplines responsible for HR, responsible for customers. So how have you managed the space of marketing and how have you built those relationships? Listen, I, I, I'm going to say some of the things that are, that are obvious and some things that maybe are not, are not as obvious. The point about the relationships, in my mind, is, is never just about the, the relationship. I mean, you can have really great relationships with a lot of people and great table miners, like, like you said, but be extremely ineffective. And I think that's important because I think the, the relationship piece opens the door to, listen, I want to start, if I don't start by, by listening, by, by collaborating, but at the end of the day, it's about outcomes. It's about the outcomes that you drive for the businesses when we have to help them drive you know, demand to, to create the demand to support their business objectives and our business objectives and outcomes. So my approach, and again, this is, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I read it somewhere, I don't, I don't know, but it's always been about, it's interesting because it connects with what I was saying before in terms of COVID. My approach mm. has always been about, um, show me, don't tell me. I'm that, like that as a person and I'm like that as a professional as well. It's not like my work is big for myself, but it's, and this connects to your question about at the beginning. At the beginning, I came with one thing in mind, which is like I have to drive outcomes that will inform two things. One, this team is accountable with us, so we like them, so we want them, we want we want their their help. So they're not just talkers. But second, that what that's what educates. It's not going to help to bring a deck that talks about in theory about what marketing can do for the company. But if I talk to you about, let me tell you the three initiatives that we have going on right now that are driving what marketing can do for the company. We're doing mm -hmm. this, we're doing this, we're doing this. Now look at the results, what this creates. I, I don't know if it was by design or by default, and I haven't been able in the six years to establish total, total consolidity of, the, of this point. I was convinced that I needed to move really fast in the areas that will create outcomes that the organization would value and, and would say, oh, wow, this is what the team can do. Let's, let's yeah. do more. Let's do more. But at the same time, in other areas, move, move without, corner, without cutting corners in terms of building the marketing capability, getting the right people in place. We had to bring a lot of new 
uh, skill sets that we didn't what, that we didn't have. I think sometimes what happens, my observation, talking to a lot of leaders or C, or CMOs in general, is that the first part of their plan is to create the capability. Let's build a plane, and, and either they spend so much time doing that that the plane never flies. So before right. the plane even takes off, get out, or they are flying a plane that is just falling apart constantly. So they never really create the foundation. So I know that this might sound like the the, the, the biggest uh, understatement in the in the in the world, or the most obvious thing in the world. We are coming into organizations that are complex. Uh, with a level uh, that is higher or lower on the understanding of what marketing can do, to, to your point. So you have to build a plane while you're flying the plane, while you're making sure that people understand how to operate with this plane and making sure that people get the outcomes. You know, it's like, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot. But I, I do believe that that is the difference between, forget, forget about CMOs, I think between great leaders and, and no so great leaders because that that's that's where you really make an, an impact in an organization. If I were to paraphrase what I'm hearing you talk about is balancing the uh, the urgent and the very important, which perhaps isn't urgent, but after a year you notice it's not there, and after two years you've got a capability which you then can propel on. I I want to pivot the conversation which is that you've actually in the last uh, two three years more and more publicly become a uh, public leader for diversity in the marketing industry and the advertising industry. And obviously the times have overtaken us, all credit to you that you were an advocate before it became popular to be that. But can you take me on that journey and tell me very specifically what you're doing and what some of the things that people are listening could be doing to drive diversity in this ecosystem of ours? Uh, obviously, for me, this uh, since very early on was a very uh, you know personal issue because uh, you know I come I come from Argentina. I always uh, I I didn't really understood until I came here what lack of diversity looked like because I I grew up with with a lot of diversity. So to, to me, it was in a way very very shocking and very uh, vivid to see the difference because it was something that in, it never occurred to me that it could be. A lack of because that's the way it was when I was growing up and and uh, and even when I started working in, in in Argentina, so it became something really really important because I felt like a lot of people weren't just getting the opportunities for whatever reason was their background, their upbringing, the color of their skin, uh, their yeah. accent. So you see, my accent since the last time we spoke has gotten you know almost disappeared. So that became a really important thing. And then what it was interesting is that there wasn't really either the playbook or the, 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 the guidance for where do you start? My, my, my advice for people to people when they ask me this question, I always say, first of all, this is a very uh, complex issue, meaning there's no one silver bullet. What I did is, well, you need to start somewhere. And for every company, that might be uh, a, different, a different journey. We have to address the issues of the whole ecosystem. That, that is for sure, because this thing is not just, it's not just representation. It's in a lot of, in a lot of other areas as, as, as well. But you have to start uh, somewhere, and the and the and the, and the worst thing is when people are trying to wait to have everything figured out to start moving in any direction. And I say to everybody that is listening, start where you can add value to start taking the first step and start moving in in, in the same direction. For for us, for us, we started with with representation. And that was a big issue. I mean, you remember I, I sent that letter to this was now like almost five years ago to our agencies. 
uh, to say, I want to know what are the numbers of your diversity uh, in, in your teams that run Verizon and, gen- and the agency as a whole, uh, and we'll share ours. Uh, of course, the numbers that would go back were appalling. Uh, yeah. So that uh, became a really forcing mechanism that started to move things like, for example, now we have a, a council with, with the CEOs of all of our agencies that we meet every quarter. Everybody shares their progress and numbers with each other. So again, to the point about collaboration, we're not only ac- they're not only accountable to me, but they're accountable to, to each other. And that led to Ad Fellows, and we created uh, a program that I, I think is, is I'm, I'm so proud of that, that work because it's, um, it's one of those programs that really has become a galvanizing, uh, uh, I, I think, method, I would say, for, for, for how to do this right. Uh, Ad Fellows gets uh, you know, young professionals that are all diverse uh, in a uh, series of rotations during eight months. So they can go through, you know, brand agencies, media, digital, etc. cetera. Uh, they're all coming from diverse backgrounds from outside of the, the, the kind of like New York or LA areas. And then we guarantee 90% of, uh, of, uh, of employment. Uh, and, and because we hire very well into the, the internship program, we end up with great professionals, but then, and that, so that was an example. And then we say, listen, we need to go further. We can't just look at representation. So we talked about, um, then internally, uh, how, how the, the equity piece and the inclusion becomes, then as we bring people with diversity, uh, how do they want to stay working at Verizon or, or our agencies? Uh, we went further and we say, okay, how is our creative supply chain looks like in terms of what we put in our money? And we realized that, yeah, we're not hiring a lot of directors that are diverse. We're not hiring a lot of photographers that are diverse. We're not hiring a lot of production companies that are diversity-owned. So we started to go into... Uh, that area, then we said, okay, let's look at the content that we produce. Is the content uh, representing not only how America looks like, but also eliminating any kind of stereotypes? And then we brought, you know, we have partners with, uh, you know, See Her, that has been yeah. a great, uh, a great, uh, a great resource for that. Uh, we created our own measure or diversity in our content to see uh, how we make progress on that. And then the fourth area, which um, uh, we just launched which is now we have a very stringent set of guidelines and, and requirements around the partners that we uh, work with on the media uh, creative and you know, basically where we put our money, that if they don't uh, really agree with, with this, this, this sort of principles, guidelines, and, 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 and directions in terms of how they deal with diversity and inclusion issues or, or other you know, hate speech and stuff like that, we simply don't. Don't, don't advertise. We're not going to advertise. We're not going to put our money uh, with them. And now it's black and white. So I always try to, to, to make it about policy. Uh, and that's been one of the things that I always get asked is about like, well, why are you still uh, out of Facebook? You know, when the boycott started, uh, stopped, you know? Uh, and I said, well, because for us, it was never about a boycott. For us was you put, advert- you put this content next to our advertising, which is something that in our guidelines is not authorized. So until mm. you can fix that and we will work with you to fix it, we won't go into, We are not going to advertise. It's not a not a, uh, 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 an issue. It's an issue of policy, you know. I'm being consistent with the policy. But my point of these four areas that I described mm-hmm. is that now we have this thing called responsible marketing action plan, which is what we're doing in these four areas. We have measures to track. Uh, we have teams that I tell you. I, I gotta thank my my team and the teams that are working on this because without their passion, I mean, I'm always just the the the, the voice that talks about these issues, but they are the ones that are really making all this work. And if anything, to the point about connection, we have brought a lot of coalitions. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel just to brand the Verizon. 
if we do some things that others can take, like iFellows, iFellows is something that anybody can access. All of the IP is available for anybody to take. So if you're interested, give me a call, uh, anybody. And then we participated in other coalitions, like, you know, with Mark Pritchard, with uh, Lorraine Tuhill from Google. I mean, we, we're all, we are kind of like this group of CMOs that, listen, we're learning from each other. We're creating partnerships with each other. Uh, and that's also critical for this, you know, that not all, all of us think that by doing our own little thing, are we going to create the big change that is, that is required? And listen, to the point that we started when you asked me about my, my tenure at Verizon, this is another good example of that. You know what? Let's stop talking about what it should be. Let's start doing. But I think what's really important, if I can decode your, your, your journey here, is obviously if there's one theme that comes across every time, it's do it and learn from that rather than figure it out and probably not even take off. But there's also a whole hierarchy here about first, your own team, two, the bench. And I think Adfellows, uh, a lot of people will have heard the name but not know enough about it. I would really encourage people to do the research um, and then indeed reach out to us or to uh, Diego, we'll connect you to learn and apply that to your industry because this is, you're creating ecosystems of talent, aren't you? And you're, exactly. you're heavying up the, the balance uh, towards equity and diversity. Um, and then actually following the spend, who are we working with to create the content, to place it, to produce it? And then what are we actually communicating? Um, Lorraine Tuhail of, um, of, of, of Google talks a lot about auditing the content uh, for diversity and for messages that are either implicit or explicit through the content. Diego, I hope people do pick that up. It's, uh, it's inspiring to, to hear your journey there. And I think there are some big themes. And I think ultimately, it does come, keep coming back to that word for you, connect, connections. Listen, I, I've been very fortunate in, in, in my career, very, very fortunate in my career, in my personal life. I, I know that you create a lot of what you are able to you know, do and achieve in your, in your life. First of all, you, you cannot do anything with the support of so many people. So many people in small or in big ways have been able to, to, to help you, to help you get there. And I feel a huge responsibility because of the position that, I, that I'm in. I work in one of the, the most amazing brands, the most incredible uh, companies in the, in the world, a very successful and, and resourceful company. So our responsibility is enormous. As a company, because because who we are and what we and what we're able to to do, but my responsibility is enormous in that uh, in that context. I tell you, I drive myself crazy because I don't think we can do enough. You know, we need to be focused, but our time here is limited. We're gonna make it. We're gonna make it count. I mean, we all need to make it count. You know. Oh, thank you, Diego. I think there's a lot of uh, vision and passion coming from this conversation, but there's also actually very practical stepping stones that people listening to this can pick up and follow. People listening in regularly know that I, I, I don't just throw compliments around, but it's really true to say from the heart that I've seen you come into an organization that wasn't very marketing oriented, wasn't very brand oriented, was incredibly, uh, you've described the organization better than I could. And now it sounds like there are, everything's intertwined, it's purpose-led, and it's business policy. It's not marketing pushing something. Uh, all credit to you on that. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time today. Diego Scotti, thank you. 
Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor being here and also a, a privilege to have uh, been able to learn from you uh, in, in, in the last few years. So thank you. Thank you to you and your team. Thank you. Diego, Scotty, and everyone, thank you. Bye-bye.